this morning were very much about how much God loves you and how much he's reaching out to you. Because love sometimes is very tough. We know that. If we've been parented properly and we're adequate parents, sometimes we have to be very tough. It doesn't mean we're not loving. It means without tough love, our lives or the lives of our children will end up in a mess. We've been talking about the warnings that God has given us in the book of Hebrews. So this is the fourth in a series of five that I'm sharing with you. I'm sorry if you haven't heard the previous ones. Uh, this should stand alone, uh, but the, knowing the other warnings, it's, it's helpful. As we looked at these warnings in Hebrews, and the first one was found in chapter 2, you'll see if you've got headings in your Bible like I have, warning to pay attention. Then in chapter 3, uh, we see another warning here, the warning against unbelief. Then it goes on to the warning against falling away. Those are the three that we've looked at, and today we're going to look at the warning if we did deliberately sin or willfully sin. Now, as we've studied these warnings, what we've seen is they get progressive. And you can understand this if you think of a parent dealing with a child. The first warning is be careful that you don't drift away from the Word of God and from this glorious salvation. It is easy once we're saved to think that's it now, home and dry, I'll just drift. It says if you drift as a Christian, you will fall into unbelief. That means that when you read the word of God, you won't believe it. You believed it to get saved, but you don't want to believe it to go on any further. Then it goes on to say with this unbelief, what happens? You become lazy as a Christian. Instead of building a foundation in your life and then growing on that foundation, you can't be bothered. This Christian journey that we're on is a journey from the cross to the throne, from the place of redemption to the place of dwelling constantly in the presence of God. Not many Christians get there. We give up, we turn away. We fall by the wayside, whatever it is. So God is warning us. Now we come to the most severe warning of all, where God says, now, I've told you enough times, I'm going to take action. Now, you understand this. If you have children or you've seen people try to discipline children or you've been a child yourself, you know what mum says. Now, stop doing that. That's not good behaviour. You carry on, so then your parent says to you, listen, I've warned you, if you carry on, you'll be sorry. Then you get to the third warning that says, right, now this is the final time I'm going to tell you. I won't warn you again. That's where we've got to this morning. God has said, careful, don't drift away. Then he said, I'm warning you again. If you keep drifting, you won't believe anything written in this book. And last time, he said, listen, you're falling away from this thing. Next time, I'll come and deal with you. This time, 
is going to deal with us. Now, I've seen parents warn their kids so many times. I want to say, listen, shut up warning your kid. Take them out and deal with them. Now, how you deal with them, I know that varies from family to family. But in the end of the day, you can't keep saying, if you carry on being like this, I'm going to do something. You have to do something because if you don't, you're a poor parent. And the child thinks, oh, just push them and push them and push them. They just keep threatening me. They never do anything. And so they grow up miserable kids. Horrible. So a good parent, after several warnings, steps in and says, right, I've got to take action. This is what we're going to learn about this morning. The fourth warning then, this is a trumpet blast warning, more terrible than anything we've heard up to now. So let me read this passage to you. No, come on, Daphne, read this passage to us. Make her do some work, shall we? Yeah. Not as though she doesn't do enough work as it is. Okay. We're going to read from uh, Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 26 down to the end of the chapter, 26 to 39. Hebrews chapter 10, 26 to 39. If, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God? underfoot who has treated who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace for we know him who said it is mine to avenge i will repay and again the lord will judge his people it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living god Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my, but, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Oh, that's a serious word, isn't it? And it's a word that God wants to minister to our lives today. He wants to save us. He has perhaps um, cried out to you many times to stop, to stop, to stop, but you've willfully carried on in your own way. It talks about here in verse 26, if you deliberately 
deliberately keep on sinning. We all slip, we all fall, we all have to grow into maturity. But there are some areas in our life where we've willfully kept on sinning. We know that God has told us again and again and again to stop doing something. And yet in our willfulness, we've carried on. God in his love has to step in and do something. Like any parent has to step in before this thing goes too far. What does God see when he sees you continually sinning? We're going to draw out passages from here to explain what he sees. The first thing, the Godhead always moves together as three. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In creation, at the cross, at your salvation, wherever, the Trinity is there all the time at work. And this is how God deals with us in our sin. He talks first about the Father's response to your sin. He says that what we're doing, we're trampling the Son of God underfoot. When we willfully choose to sin, we trample underfoot God's Son. What does that mean? That means in our life, when we choose to sin, it is though that Jesus jumps in front of us on the path and says, No, stop what you're doing. This is unacceptable to God. You know it's the wrong thing to do, but in your rushing forward to do that which is wrong, to satisfy yourself, you push Jesus to one side. He goes off balance, and as you rush past him, you trample on the body of Jesus Christ. That is the imagery that this is showing. God has sent his son Jesus to stop you on the path of destruction and you've trampled on him. Now, I'm not talking to non-Christians. I'm talking to Christians. This book is not written to the unsaved. This is the book that God has given to his children. And so it's a stern warning to us. Then the second is Christ's... uh, application or the implications of Christ it says treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant what does that mean imagine you have dirty hands and you want to wash them so you take a basin and you take a jug of water and you pour the water into the basin but when you look at the water you see it as dirty you think there's no point of trying to wash my hands in dirty water, so you discard the water looking for fresh water. Jesus Christ has presented you with his blood, the blood that can cleanse you of sin. You've looked at the blood of Jesus and rejected it. You've discarded the precious holy thing. You've tossed it to one side in your determination to press on and do exactly what you want to do. That blood that was shed was to cleanse you of all sin, but because you willfully want to go on sinning, you discard, reject, throw out the blood of Jesus. It is only the blood that can cleanse you of sin. So you've treated this sacred thing as an unholy thing because you're determined to do what you want to do without any consideration to the word of God. 
Then we see the third illustration where he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, we insult the Spirit of grace. That is the Holy Spirit. It is as though you now are determined to do something that you know you should not do. And you hear a knock at the door. And you open the door and it is the Holy Spirit of grace that says the Father has sent me to remind you, to tell you, you must not do this thing that you are planning. And do you know what you do? You slam the door in the face of the Holy Spirit. It says here we insult the Holy Spirit of God who seeks to stop you from the path of sin that you are constantly willfully choosing to walk on. What can this person then, who does this, expect from God? If you are choosing willfully to do something you know that God has challenged you about, he has got to step in and stop you. Like any good parent would say, you must stop this. And if you don't listen to me, I must take some action to stop you doing it. Because if I don't, it will destroy your life. I've rushed to my children in the past thinking they were going to make a mistake to sit down and talk with them and warn them about the path they were taking more than once. I can't make them do what I want to do. And nor can God. But he can take action against you because he is God. And he loves you that much. He will take action. Severe discipline is the answer then if you will not respond to the first three warnings. I don't want to water down the word of God. But this is what it says in verse 27. You can expect, you can expect only a fearful judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Sinners are not the enemies of God. It's those who know God and know the word of God and refuse to do what God said are the enemies of God. A sinner, he's out, he's out, he don't know what's going on. He don't know anything. He doesn't even believe in a God. He's not opposed to God. He doesn't even believe God exists. But we know God and we know his word. And if we willfully go against his word, we are the enemies of God. You can expect a fearful judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Is this frightening you a bit this morning? I hope so, because I tell you, it frightened me. It frightened me, and we need to be afraid. We need to be afraid of Almighty God. It is our duty to get born again. It is our duty to bow the knee. It is our duty to obey the word of God in everything he tells us to do. You haven't got the liberty to open the word of God and say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this. It's disobedience. And it's unacceptable to God. You say, you sound so strong this morning, Phil. This is the fourth warning. I'm the parent who's saying, listen, I've had enough of this. We stop this now. You do not continue in this vein for your own good. You stop this business. 
We've already seen the children of Israel in one of these other warnings. They came out of captivity in Egypt and they got themselves to the promised land. And God said, I want you to go into the promised land. Enter into your rest. There will be cities to take, armies to defeat, giants to slay, wild beasts to deal with. But you must go in. You must trust me. You must believe in me. Now walk forward. They sent the spies in. And they brought reports that put fear in the hearts of the people. And they said, we will not obey the Lord our God. God said, then you go into the wilderness. These people were saved by the blood of the Lamb into the promised inheritance of God. Does that sound like you? You were saved by the blood of the Lamb so you could step into the inheritance of God. Nearly all of them died. Their berries were scattered in the wilderness. It said God was angry with them for 40 years because they would not be obedient to the Lord their God. Children of promise. Children who had come under the blood. Children of God like we are children of God. Died in the desert because of their disobedience. It says in 1 John 5, 16, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. Do you know there are sins that lead to death? There are some things that you do, God will take you out. I didn't write this. Paul says, talking to the church at Corinth, he says, when you come together and take communion, if you have no respect for your brothers and sisters, some of you will die prematurely because of your attitude. Isn't that God taking you out? Because you're not honoring the body of Christ. You're not respecting others. He said, you'll sleep prematurely. Everyone who interprets that says sleep is death without a shadow of a doubt. Remember Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They tried to deceive Peter. They tried to hold back some of the inheritance and the money that they said they were giving to God. It says this in Acts 5 and 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. God killed him. God dealt with him there and then. That sounds like the God of the Old Testament, let me tell you. There is no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament because there is no shadow of turning in God and there is no, there is no difference between the God that we serve. It's a different time and there is more grace that flows to us because of Jesus. But God is the same God of the Old and the New Testament. Ananias drops down dead. Five verses later, it says, at that moment, she is wife, Sapphira. She comes in and she drops down dead as well. Wow. Okay, there is sin that is sin unto death. If I don't discern the body of Christ, then I might sleep before I was intended to sleep. The children of Israel, they fell in the wilderness. Now, God does not always take out his rebellious children, but he will always deal with them. Sometimes things go wrong in your life 
because God is trying to change you. But you refuse, you refuse to listen to what he says. And so things go terribly wrong in your life. Don't come crying to me. And don't try and pray yourself out of the situation. Because God has determined what would happen to you. Because of the rebellion that he finds in your heart. The word of God says if you find rebellion in a child, you drive it from him. God will drive rebellion from all his children's hearts because he wants us to be with him. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31 here says this, For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's dreadful. You want to fall into the hands of God when you're crying out for mercy. Don't dare fall into the hands of God when you're operating in a rebellious spirit because that ain't a good place to be. And he's talking to his children. It's his children he's talking to. These aren't isolated verses. Let me take you to verses in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The first 11 verses there. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And listen, they were in a mess. There were some rebellious Christians in that church at Corinth. Listen what he says. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. There's a fact he's going to give us that we're not to be ignorant of. Brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea and they were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What he's saying is, when you look at the Old Testament saints that were brought out of Egypt and that were led by Moses, they're just like us. They were delivered like we were delivered. They were baptised going through the Red Sea like we have been baptised when we went through water. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the, ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Isn't that what we've been doing this morning? Isn't that what Mark has been saying? We've come to eat of him. We've come to drink of him. We've come to be refreshed by him. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. We feed upon him. We feast upon him. The bread and the wine is the body and the blood of Christ. We ate it. We took it. We feast on Jesus Christ. He becomes the all-important one to us. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. He is saying, we are the same as them. We have Christ to drink from, but physically they had a rock to drink from, but that rock represented Christ to them. He was their refreshment. He was their sustenance. He was their life, just like Christ is our life and our sustenance. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, their bodies were scattered over the desert. That sounds terrible. Why were their bodies scattered over the desert? What did these people do that God had to respond in this way, in the same way that God deals with us? Don't you think God disciplines you? 
Have you wondered why you've got no money sometimes? Have you wondered why things are so difficult? Have you wondered why your family goes through so many problems? Have you wondered why there's no promotion at work? Have you wondered why these things? You say, well, it was the devil. Well, maybe God allowed the devil to do stuff. But God would have allowed him to do it. Let's see what sort of problems he's talking about here. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil and the things that they did. These are examples to us. If God is not going to deal with us in the same way that he dealt with the children of Israel, it's not an example. It's irrelevant. If God just forgives us and forgives us and loves us and forgives us and it doesn't matter, then it's not an example at all. So what does he say? Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink. They got up and they indulged in pagan rivalry. What's this talking about? This is talking about when Moses goes up the mountain to bring down the law of God, the covenants of God, the plan for the tabernacle. They give up on God. They give up on Moses. So they build themselves a calf. And they start to worship the calf. They set up an idol of worship being a calf. Is there an idol in your life? Would you die for Jesus? Would you give everything to Jesus? Would you be prepared to empty your bank balances for Jesus? Would you leave your job if God called you now to live for him? Would you do it? If you wouldn't, you have an idol in your life. Anything where Jesus isn't 100% first in your life, you have idolatry in your life. We can't even be bothered to go to church, read our Bible, pray, help other people, give liberally to the work of God. That only means you've got idols in your life. How does God deal with this? Moses comes down, has one look, tells his guys, straps swords on, he goes out amongst the people and he slays 3,000 of them. You go, wow, just kill them. Just kill them. Destroy them. Goes on to say then, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 20,000 of them died. Are you sleeping with someone you're not married to? Are you? Well, be careful. Because when they did it here, one day he came and slaughtered 23,000 of them. You can only sleep with your married partner. End of story. Watch it. If God did it then, he could do it now. And if you're not married, get married then. But until you get married, abstain. Because you're putting yourself in a very dangerous place. Philip, you never talk about these things. I've talked about it now. I'll put it plain and you'll be warned. If you ain't married and sleeping with somebody, watch out. God might descend on you from a very great height, as he did in this place here. 23,000 were slaughtered that day because of sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in the one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. They tested the Lord. They grumbled at the Lord. They said, oh, Lord, you can't look after us. They grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. What did he do? He sent the snakes in and killed thousands of them by the snake. You go, 
I never saw God like this. I'm reading from the New Testament. I'm not reading from the Old Testament. I'm reading from Corinthians. I'm reading that God who never changes is on your case. He's got to get on the case of his people because we need to see a change in this nation. Judgment begins in the house of God. Don't you dare go out and tell those people they're doing anything wrong. You haven't got a right to tell them they're doing anything wrong. We have to get it perfectly right here by the grace of God. And even then, when we are perfect, we don't tell them they're wrong. We preach the love of God to them, and then when we get them in here, that's when we beat them up. Okay? They're going to be gay and homosexual and all the other things they want to do out there. Of course, sinners sin. But you get them in here and we pound them with the word of God. And we teach them the word of God. And the love of God and the grace of God will convert a human soul to be like Jesus Christ. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Don't grumble. Don't complain. You put yourself in a very dangerous position. Now, you can speak up about what's right and about what's wrong. You can say that's wrong or that's right. But don't grumble, moaning all the time about what a poor God we have, what a poor salvation we have, how this stuff doesn't work. Don't do that. Because he might just take you out. Because he gets fed up with it in the end. And he deals with it. Because he's a God who never changes. This is the fourth warning. There's one more to come. You say, I don't know if we can take the fifth one, Phil. There's more of this stuff coming in the fifth one that is a lot stronger than this. So, I'm not going to tell you when it's happening. You'll come unsurprisingly. You'll think you're going to say, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, which he does. I'm going to whack you with the fifth warning. Okay. But we'll deal with the fourth one today. Personally, that means this is what I think. I don't think there is a sin that can take you to hell. Once you're born again, and the Spirit of God has got hold of you, and a transformation has taken place, you can still be a wicked, rebellious person, but when you die, you will be saved. That's what I think. You don't have to think that. You can think something different. That's what I believe. But listen, he might save you in the final analysis, but he can take you out any time he wants to because he did it here, and he's warning us that he can do it any time that he wants to. Personally, I believe, and I think you can't argue with this, it is important that every Christian obeys God. Would you agree with me? You haven't got the slightest space in your life to disobey God. Not one. Not one. And you should be doing everything you should to please the Father. Whatever it is, we are created as his children to bring honour and glory to his name. And sin does the opposite. It brings dishonor and discredit to his name. Let me give you an example of this. King David, Old Testament saint, I know. But he knew what it was for the Spirit of God to be upon him. 
It said, King David had a heart after God. That means that whatever God asked King David to do, David would do it without a shadow of a doubt. He would have killed thousands of people if God told him to. He would do anything that God told him to do. Getting on in life, he did a very stupid thing. He committed adultery. And then he murdered the husband of the woman he had an affair with. That's terrible, isn't it? That's a terrible, terrible thing to do. You just don't wake up one day and do that. You understand? That's, a, that's like deep-rooted problems in your life. Okay, now, it, you probably need deliverance and a whole lot more. I get that. But that's a deep-rooted problem that you should do this. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says this in 2 Samuel 12:9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? See, when you willfully sin, you're despising the word of the Lord. That means you're despising the Lord himself. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. He might as well have just killed this man himself because he set up his death. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Premeditated sin in the Old Testament under the law, if there were two or three witnesses that could be brought against you, instant death. No messing. No messing. You were taken out for premeditated sin, whatever that premeditated sin was. God forgives David. This is incredible. See, God is still merciful and gracious, Old Testament and New. But there were sad consequences as the result of his sin. Let me tell you, when you deliberately sin, there are sad consequences that follow you, sometimes until the grave. There is stuff that you do that you cannot ever get free from the consequences of that sin. Let me read it to you here. It's in 2 Samuel 12, going on 10 and verse 14. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. This is Nathan talking to David. Because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. That's God speaking through Nathan the prophet to David. He goes on to say this. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and I'll give them to the one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. This was after he had forgiven him. He didn't get off scot-free. You don't get off scot-free. You don't. Your sins have consequences. Of course they do. If God has told you to do something and you deliberately do the opposite, there will be consequences, always. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's his repentance. I, what I have done is wrong. I want to be forgiven of God. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die as you should, I've added, 
But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. The result of that relationship with that woman, he will die. And the other sins went right through his family until he died. You say, this is a serious old message, Phil. It's serious. This is serious, serious stuff. There's a final warning here I want to bring to you. I'm not talking to immature Christians who don't know a bean. I'm talking to mature Christians here. See, if you don't know anything and you're immature, you don't know anything. I get that. What do you know? God's not going to come on you like a ton of bricks if you don't know. You know? Parents sometimes say to kids, behave. Maybe you have to spell out what behaving is. Yes? Now, unless you behave, well, tell them what it is. And then they know clearly what they can and can't do. Usually they know because it's spelled out for them. Now, this is a message not to young Christians but to mature Christians. But young Christians take heed because God deals with you the same way. He says this. Years ago, talking to these same Christians that he's been talking to now, he says to them in verses 32 to 34, he says, remember the earlier days, what you were like. Remember what you were like. He said, you stood your ground in the face of suffering. Now, that's a strong thing to do. This is how these Christians live. They stood their ground. Then he goes on to say, you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. That's strong. That's what they were like. They would take personal insults in the public and take it. So they weren't mamby-pamby Christians. They were strong Christians. Then he goes to say, you stood side by side with those who were ill-treated. He goes to say, you supported those that were in prison. You didn't care about what people thought of you because you were so determined and committed to the things of God. You didn't care. You were mature in your attitude. He says this, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. You go, wow, that's pretty mature as a Christian. But it's these people that were now leading this sinful, rebellious life. These people. See, when we get old in the faith, we can sometimes relax. We think we've arrived. We don't have to build on our salvation anymore. We're not going to press in to the things of God. This is it. We've arrived at a place. There's nowhere else to go. He says, be careful lest you think you're safe, that you fall. None of us are too old to fall. We can become old and conceited. We think we understand things, but the devil's smarter than your understanding to defeat you and to destroy you. I'll tell you something about this Christian life. It's not about how you start, you know. It's how you finish. They started with great passion. Confiscation of houses, 
suffering in public. They'd put up with all of that. But now they're being dragged down by the enemy. Watch it as you get older. Watch it. Watch it. It's how you finish. He says this. You must not throw away your confidence. You know you will be richly rewarded. You must persevere to receive what you have been promised. It all works out well in the end. Might not be in this earth. That's not what he's saying. You might just have to fight to the very end. Be tenacious. Resist in the devil. Stand steadfast in the faith. Those who shrink back, it says, who refuse to live by increasing faith, their lives will be wasted. All the wonderful things that these people did when they were new Christians, they wasted it and God took them out. Isn't it terrible? All that they had gone through in Egypt, all the pain, all the misery, all the slavery, now they've got their deliverance. You think they're going to be just over the moon. They're going to go with God 100%. Whatever God wants. Oh, this is wonderful. We've been delivered from our captives. And they said, can we go back? Bad angry. I would have slapped them, slapped them, slapped them. But God killed them. He killed them for their attitude. Stop moaning. Stop grumbling and complaining. Stop drifting away. Stop. It says you will be destroyed. Another word for that is all that you've done will be wasted. You must finish strong. Finish stronger than when you started. You've got to finish strong. You say, I'm getting old and tired. You better believe I'm getting old and tired, but I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to keep believing and trusting my God until I take my last breath at a (laughs) hundred. I'm going to finish strong. I'm not going to let the devil deceive me and destroy me so that God says, we better take him out before he does any more damage to the name of Jesus Christ. I know saints that have been taken out They don't live anymore. They're not in ministry anymore. They do not stand up for the name of Jesus Christ because their lives were not worthy of it. And he took them out completely. And if you think about it, you know some people as well like this. They're no longer around because they're not worthy. You have to count yourself worthy. If we give up, we lose everything. We gain our salvation. We keep our salvation, but we lose everything. Now, what do you do with a sermon like that? If you come back next week the same, I'll be really disappointed. You've got to go home and do some business with God. All of you. 
I've got to go home and do some business with God. If I preach it at you, I've been preaching it at me for five days. You can be sure of that. I don't want to give God any reason to consider doing anything against me. I want to live only for him. Totally dedicated, committed in my life so that I bring glory and honour to his name because if I know I give the devil one inch in my life, he will come and destroy me. We press on from the cross to the throne so we dwell in his presence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we honor and respect your holy, precious name. We worship your precious Son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us. And we honor the person of the Holy Spirit who has come to guide us and lead us into all truth. If we have discarded the blood, if we have trampled on Jesus because we've been so busy rushing to do our sin, if we've slammed the door in the face of your gracious Holy Spirit, Lord, will you forgive us this morning? Please, Lord, forgive us. Because when we fall into the hands of God, we want to fall into the hands of a merciful God and not a God who will deal with us so we bring no more disgrace upon your holy name. Father, my prayer for each one of us here is that you will deal with us this week. You will send some of that fire upon us. Lord, that anything that we are trying to get away with, you will burn us, Lord. You will keep us up at night. We will, we will experience something of the scalpel, or of the wrath of God that would deal with these things in our lives. Please, Lord, come upon this church. Cleanse its people. Bring us back on track where we're indifferent. Lord, we ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.